Thanks. Hello, everybody. Welcome here to another Better Future um, Spotlight. I'm here with Isabel Orgood or Agard. Now, help me out on the Danish because my Danish is terrible. Isabel, help me out. How would you say? <laughs> well, I would internationally, I'll definitely just say Isabel Agard. But, uh, but yeah, in Danish, it's Isabel Orgård. I see. You <laughs> I love Danish. I love it. Out of all of the Scandinavian languages, there's something about the Danish which uh, which really gets me. No, I don't know. I shouldn't really say that because my Swedish friends will hate me for it. Okay, so we're gonna we're here to talk about Last Object, which is the company that uh, that you've helped found. And there's Last Swab, there's Last Tissue, and there's Last Round. For people who aren't familiar, what's a round? You know, round. I don't know what a round is. <laughs> It's um, it's a, a cotton round is actually what you call it. So um, so it's for cleaning your face or taking off your makeup. Okay. I probably should use them when I come in from sailing and I've got sunscreen on, but instead I just yeah. Yeah, I, I use a face washer. There you go. It's probably bad for my skin, but I'm going to look at this complexion. Okay. So, but the principle behind the last object company is that you're going to find things that are single-use products and you're working out how to go get multi-use out of them a minimum exactly. of 10 times that you want to see something used. So how, how are you going? Are all the products that you've got at least giving 10 times? So do some of them work much more than the 10 times? Yes. Um, it's it's a We want to make a 10 times difference uh, compared to the existing. So, and this is actually not even a very high bar, but we just need to have at least that. And so if we're working on a product design wise, that is not, that is not actually really, really good for the environment, then we don't want to, we don't want to continue. So it's kind of like putting the bar where it should be. um, So that all of our products really make a real and, and huge difference. But okay. yes, I, it's very different. Like the rounds, um, they can be washed and used up to uh, 250 times. And our um, our Q-tip is uh, is hitting about 1,000. Uh, the whole tissue pack with everything in is, you know, over almost 4,000 times with the with the six tissues. So it's, it's different um, okay. how many times you can... So that 10x is just like that's not even thinking about it, is it? It's a 10x from you using this once. So I think, and and that's one of the interesting things about if we're trying to work out how to do better, we've got to go set an aspirational goal. And you've exceeded that aspirational goal, and that's great to see that. But how do you get people to say, I want to go from what they think is the convenience and that they think is, you know, more sanitary, perfect for them? How do you get them to, because it's it's almost a magician's trick, isn't it? You've got to say, I'd like you to do something that you probably haven't grown up with and, uh, and it's probably going to be better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. That? Well, actually, we, um, we discussed this a lot in the beginning um, because we really want our designs to look like the single use. We want it to feel like the single use because we are, we've gotten so accustomed to it and we are habit, we're habit animals. So we keep going back to the same habits. So if we can change something and it's enough that you have to wash it, it's enough that you have to um, store it. 
So we need the feel and the design and the look to be so close to the single-use component. So this is where we, we move a lot of people because you don't look at our cotton swab and think like, how do I use this? Is this, do I bend it? Or, you know, you, you look at it and you know exactly how to use it. You know exactly what to do. And the same thing with the tissues, the same way with the rounds. Um, so we're doing a little bit of, of difference in the casing so that it makes sense. Um, but it, it's really, really important that it is as alike to the single use version. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I love about the initiative that you've got is that you've worked out how to go get the behaviours in there. And that comes from your background as a master's in co-design. So that's going to help. Your other founders have furniture background, industrial design, but there's also this layer in the in the organisation of management consultancy with groups like BCG and McKinsey. So I, I, when I go look at the people who are, who are involved with your startup here, it's this is a powerhouse of really smart people who have got experience and, and you're working out how to solve a confined set of problems, but they're very complicated problems to go solve. How did, how did you get to the point that you had this, you know, all-star team? Was it... There's lots of smart people in Denmark and you all got together or? <laughs> uh, no, but it was actually, um, it was really the plan from the very beginning. When we started um, building our company, we started, of course, just us three doing all the work. And then slowly we needed, you know, we needed help. We needed people that could help us with different things. But we were still so small. We were still starting up. We were still trying to make this a huge business. So actually we did everything freelance based. So we would only hire people. We didn't hire people into our office. Nobody was sitting there with us. We didn't build it as a normal company because we needed us to be this big. And we needed, you know, it to have such a good economic structure. And before we hired our first, um, our, our our first uh, co-founder, you could say, or the like the super the super team um, that we wanted to create. So this was just really important, and that took seventeen months. So we were solely based on freelancers until we got our CEO, and he was the first one. And uh, and then we built from there. And we keep we actually we have a lot of um, interviews throughout. Um, throughout the week where we keep coming back to at the end of the meeting we look at each other and we're like but are they superstars you know we're not going to hire somebody that's just good we're going to only hire superstars because we need this team to be so small so precise so focused driven and then we need to do so many different things that it's not necessarily what I can do that somebody else can do so then you've got superstars, but superstars, they don't do it for free, so they're going to want to have pay, which is which is absolutely appropriate now. How are you funding it? Did you go through a Kickstarter or have you gone through, you know, startup funding? You've been fortunate to find some people who believe in it. Or did you put some money on the lotto when you wound up winning lots of money? How did you get here? Well, we, uh, yeah, all of our products are, are Kickstarter based. So that's where we launch. Um, and, and it's a really good way of validating also your product and making sure that we're, you know, ordering the right colors that people actually want, that the design, that this is actually a, a need, a, an item somebody would want. Um, but it's also a way for us to have a really good cash flow. And um, we, as I 
told you like we we didn't take any uh, salary ourselves the first 17 months so and we didn't hire anybody in um that wasn't freelancer based so everything has been very dynamic and easy to 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 kind of really create this big company that can um that can uh, yeah can give these really high salaries to these amazing superstars. We also have the benefit that um, we could, we've also involved people that are entrepreneurs themselves. So they were interested in also getting maybe a little bit less of a wage than their previous place if they could get a piece yeah. of the company. So all of, like we are seven now and we're all founders. We all have a little bit of, of, it, of this company, which is really amazing because that also makes it, you know, a common um, goal together. Yep. Have you had anybody who's decided that the journey wasn't um, their future journey and that they've decided to leave? Or is, is that, because that's the reality, eventually somebody wants to leave the band. No, no none of us that have been, you know, <laughs> us at the office, we have freelancers that come and go um, that we demand too much of or um, that uh, are not up for the task. Yep. Um, but it's actually not a lot. Um, and, and that's also different because it's never a full-time employee that leaves. It's maybe a, a person that has, you know, for example, I have a wonderful girl on the Instagram account and I had somebody else and then she had, uh, she was going into a bigger company where they needed her more. And then that was more interesting for her instead of having a, a lot of little clients. So things like that, we've felt. <laughs> and, 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 and talent's really difficult like that because you, you've taken a casual you know, connection with the person. It isn't a full-time role. And it's all, you know, they're always the likelihood they're going to find somebody else wants them for more than you do more time, more permanent commitment, whatever it is. Or they wind up having a life change and it might be their study of family, it might be they have to care for an elder, that something comes up. So that's the difficult part there. But the Kickstarter part, that's a, that's a really smart way to do it because you can go put in your smarts from the design perspective up front. As you go to manufacture, you're then, you're then got your funded manufacture, which is great because... Working out how to go and actually get money so that you can potentially make something and so that you then market it to people is a very, very inefficient way of doing things. So the idea of marketing before manufacture, fantastic, makes lots of sense. How do you go do your second round? How do you make your second batch? Is there because you've had all these people who have come around that love the idea? So what's the secret there? Do you is it a subscription program for them? What's the way that you go keep that funding coming into the organization or is it just successive rounds? I think that um, what we've experienced until now, we're not a company that wants, you know, people to come back because they've used up the product and um, maybe in a couple of years. Yes, but okay. we are not a subscription based. We don't want to create something that's not necessary. Um, what we've what we've seen is that people really love the brand. So when they get one of our products and we release a new product, they also want that one. And it's, it's also a good talker. It's a fun gift thing. So when somebody gets the swab and they, they really enjoy it and like it, then they go back and buy 10, one for each family member. And then that's, you know, a really fun Christmas story. 
So, um, so I think we we see we see a lot of gifts on the second round, people buying in, and then we also see that that we have good return customers on new products. Yeah, and uh, I've for the last twenty years, I've had the behaviour that if I hear some music from an artist that I like, I'll buy ten CDs. If if, if I'm at a gig and I'm enjoying the gig. I'll buy 20, 10, 20 CDs, and then it, and this obviously goes back a long way, CDs, yeah? But I, but I give them to people, and they say, wow, because they're not used to receiving something. It's like, well, I love this. When Dieter Rams went and did uh, the movie with uh, Gary Huswitz, I turned around and I actually went and bought, you know, a whole heap of them and, and just gifted them out to people. It's such a nice thing to, to go gift. When you love something, you want to gift it because it says, I found something I think you might like as well. So, okay, so you get a gifting cycle there. You've gone through one Christmas, you've gone through one gifting cycle. Is it the fact that you've got the next wave of products coming out that that helps keep that, that earning potential? Because... It's hard to find new customers all the time, isn't it? It's yeah. much better if you could actually ask that customer, would you also like? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I would say uh, in our web sale is what I can talk about most because that's so easy to track. It's really, really, <clears throat> really good uh, that we have this um, flow of products. I think it's very important for our company that we keep being innovative that we also keep, you know, updating our existing products, making sure that they are better and better and better every time we have a new round on the production molds. Or mm-hmm. so, and, and this is this is very important for our business. We are three designers that are. This is what we do. So we're very design based, and we really want to keep keep that rolling, keep being innovative. You know, we have a, a toilet roll on top of our shelf at at, at our office. And that's like, that's the goal. Like when we've solved this single use item, then I think we can all just uh, take a rest. (laughs) But we haven't gotten there yet. And there are a couple of uh, single use products that we have to find out up until then. I've seen a few people who have been trying to solve the toilet paper, the say, the number two's hygiene problem. I don't know how to talk about it. It's just complicated. They're messy and complicated. And... That's a hard one because there's so many societal things about about what they and there's also health factors in there as well. So that's a big that's a big one to go tackle. Yeah. Any any idea where the product horizon is for that? Is that uh, you know um, short on the horizon, or is that something that you still have as a long way down in the in the product roadmap? Yeah, I think it's a long way down right now. There are a lot of um, lower apples <laughs> that so, we can pick. So we came in contact with through the Berlin Design Awards for uh, for last one. Mm-hmm. What's next? Can you talk about that or would you have to kill me if you told me? <laughs> I am... Um... I think well what can I say I can I can say we're going to we still have some items in the bathroom department that are like a lot of fun and that I think we can solve and that I that we're working on some really really fun designs I think that's a, and we're still going to be in the kind of ew disgusting you know we started with earwax went to boogers you know so I think we can still work on this area I think there are a lot of fun things um we've been talking about going into the kitchen too um, looking at some of the 
the single use items that we have here. And I have, of course, because of my baby, been talking a lot about baby and diapers and holy moly, that is a world in itself and that I knew nothing about uh, nine months ago. So you also worked around um, cancer and and helping to go, you know, change the attitude that people had about cancer. Have you thought of going into the clinical environment? Because I think one of the things that we've seen that's come up through COVID is that many people are treating every part of medical equipment as if uh, as single-use and disposable in COVID, and not everything is. You know, we've got to work out how to... I know there's that beautiful incinerator that's now got the ski slope on it in, in Copenhagen, so you don't have to worry about waste to energy. But in other places, we do have to worry about waste to energy because we don't want to incinerate everything because we're still releasing you know, gases out of it. We're still releasing energy. Most of it's not being caught around the world when we when we see medical waste. It's actually, say, a non-harnessed air release of energy. So that to me, like... Somebody who solves that, that's a fantastic bar to get to. But I think that's more behavioural and product. Definitely. Are there any opportunities that you'll do some behavioural programs as part of this rolling out? Because there's going to be a point where everyone's got the items, but they need to change their behaviours to get the maximum Mm. impact, don't they? Yeah, exactly. You're very well researched. I'm impressed. Um, We have, I would say... Working myself, working in, in the medical industry, is it's like a gift shop for a designer. There are so many things you can do. And it's, it's, it's just a candy shop. Um, so I could definitely see us working into that area again. We have a lot of things right now that I feel like we should solve first in the more like everyday life because everyday life just accumulates a lot of trash. But there's definitely some very, very exciting things you can do in in the medical industry because everything is single use and everything is thrown out and and they are thinking or at least a lot of the hospitals our main hospital here in Denmark they're thinking more green they're changing up their habits they are um washing things I I designed a, a bag for chemotherapy that they wash and repeatedly use so you know there there is a there's definitely um some exciting things you can do there and but i suppose the the challenge for us as we're trying to think about a better future is that the change that's happening has to be faster than the tide that's trying to overrun it and the Mm -hmm. tide of increased use is we you know that's got a great pace to it so on a scorecard, you've got to say we're actually keeping ahead of the tide. Where you know we're we're getting on top where it's at, and and that's a very complex area to to work on, isn't it? Because you think you've done something amazing, but then are you actually keeping ahead of that tide of change that's that's happening there? That's a that's a big problem. I want to see if I can frame something here because I don't want to ask you a direct question about your product. So I want to ask you a concept a concept. So. These products that are in market, you've got some, you'll have some designs which are near market, which you'll be talking about them when they come through release. And you'll have some things which are far market. They're early stage of them. So let's take the, the toilet paper rollers in the far market, but you've got some things that are near market. 
How long does it take to get from the decision to say we want to do something to actually getting it into Kickstarter, making sure that it's uh, now being promoted? Because I, I know for some friends who do um, e-scooters that I know of a, of a Kickstarter campaign that's been there for over 12 months and they, and they haven't hit the button to say go. And I go, wow. Is that the, I've, I've seen the product. I, I know exactly what it is. But the market area isn't right for that e-scooter, particularly around the pandemic and supply chains, and so they've held back. Mm-hmm. How's it work for you guys? Is, or is that something that, you're, again, you'll have to kill me if you tell me? <laughs> no, it's very different. It's very different from product to product. Uh, like the design phase is also different. You know, it can take two weeks to design something and it can take two years. So it's really a lot of things have to fall into place. We have a big understanding of plastics now, of molding, of uh, creating, uh, understanding how that manufacturing process works so that we can design smart around that. Mm -hmm. Um, When we move into, for example, new types of productions, so let's say sewing, that could be clothing, you know, that's something completely different. And that is just a different process, a different mindset and different understanding so that will take more time to set into place. That will take more iterations because I don't necessarily design well for an industrial sewing machine. <laughs> you know, I have a normal uh, grandma sewing machine at home. And like, so that um, that is a learning curve. But as soon as you've understood that, understood the production, then you can design smart. Mm. And uh, so that's how, how we've, uh, that's how our products have developed at least. Okay. And so then there's obviously as designers that you're forever thinking of different things and different stages of development. How do you make the decision of what of which design candidate gets to launch next? Is that, is that market research? Is it you go to a pub, you drink too much, and whoever remembers the product, that that's what goes ahead? <laughs> I'd like to do the last one there. I think that would be a good, uh, <laughs> a good. I would say we're working really hard on creating as as many products simultaneously as possible because there are so many hiccups uh, that you go through when you're designing. Then it takes longer to understand a production method, for example, or um, the solution that we had in mind doesn't work. For example, I was I've been working the last couple of months on a product. And then we were so ready to start filming, doing the testing, you know, and then I had through a test round and I could see it was, we had to do drastic changes to the product. Then it's moved, you know, ahead and then it can move so far into the future that another product, oh, but then we actually have this one ready before this one. And then they just switch places. So it's very much about when is the product ready? Um, And, and then it's, it's mostly also just us three hammering at each other wanting our design to go through so uh, you also have to talk your case sometimes <laughs> so you it's similar to a band then who are recording a record you know they record 20 songs you got to work out what goes on the album yeah what they might be ready but what ships first what what goes through that cycle there okay so so you did this all at a very young age i think you just had one of those birthdays where you changed the <laughs> number, is that right? <laughs> That's right. 
<laughs> but but you were doing it. You began this in your in your twenties. So how how do you get start to turn around and say I want to do this? Was it a through a collaboration with your co-founder? Where did the seed of, of the idea of having a last object come from? I think that I'm I'm from a very entrepreneurial family, um, and I built this. One of the co-founders is also my big brother. So we've, of course, known each other our entire lives and always worked in our family business are you, together. Are you sure about that? Are you sure you've known each other your entire lives? No, I, I'm just joking there. <laughs> no. No, Only me, that. my entire life, not right. his. He had a five years of uh, freedom. Wow. Okay, so you're working with your five-year-old brother. Uh, wow, okay. And, and so your parents were entrepreneurs as well? Yes, exactly. So we and they built a, an amazing family business, also uh, with uncles and my granddad, and everybody's just always been involved. So I think it came very natural to us to want to work together and also want to build something. Because I think if I had come to my parents and wanted to be a nurse, I think they would have been like, "What?" Where you have the opposite uh, reaction, maybe in a lot of other families, if you go and say, "I want to be." Uh, an entrepreneur and I want to start my own business so um, so it was very natural and what sort of industry sectors were was the family business in was it in products and in health and personal care in and they they created a jewelry business a jewelry that's a so you've taken a huge difference but I suppose their personal jewelry is with you every day it's got a, a personal connection in there yeah yeah Okay, so we've got we've got this background that you've got, which is that you've been tainted with entrepreneurialism from a young age. You know, uh, you've got the idea that there's collective collective knowledge there of what that means. You turn around and you start to start to begin the process. You've obviously got people who are there behind you saying it's going to be a, a, a tough journey, but go for it. That's very different to many other entrepreneurs, isn't it? Yes, yes. And then you also have that you you came from a really good foundation. You know, you're at the Royal Danish Institute of Fine Arts, great school. You know, lots of very successful people come out of it. But as I understand, the the cross discipline learning that's done there means that you get a much broader understanding than than people who just go to somewhere which does one discipline. I I know a few architects who have come through it, and they said they got they got to understand more by going through that institute than going through other co- colleges or institutes that they went to. So so that helps you out. But this is a big imagination to say I think I can change the future. Not everybody actually says, I think I could change the future. I'm going to make a proposition. I'm going to put it out there in the market. It's not going to be a one-shot. I'm going to keep doing these things. Do you pinch yourself and say, am I really doing this? <laughs> Every day. <laughs> Every day. And so, okay, so, and how, how different does it make it than the, the friends that you grew up and went to school with? Do they... Are they on similar paths where they're doing amazing things, where they're actually saying, I'm running a business that's changing the world? Or because that makes it hard to socialize and get get that peer input if you're not getting that that cross-pollination. No, it's true. It's true. I think that it's so different what people have ended up doing actually. Um become a lot of different things. I think that 
I, I they, I've always been the girl that you looked at and were like, Jesus Christ, what is she doing? That's so weird or crazy or out of the box. Or my, I had a friend over uh, last night actually that uh, told me like, of course, of course you did this business. You know, it's, that's just you, you know, and it's, uh, there was, there was always some kind of, um, it wasn't that I was going to create something big. I think that was in the map, but something weird was definitely um, mapped out for me. Yeah. So everyone else was doing squares, you were doing circles or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've had to do that too. And, and let me get used to it after a little while. Okay. You've, you've got a little while and you'll get used to that. So I want to work out who do you need to know to help you scale and to actually make this even bigger than you can imagine? Or are you planning to do it at the pace that you're doing? Do you, you know, do you think you're going to stay ahead of the challenge if you keep in the model and the framing you've got? Or is it that there's some partnerships that can help you dramatically scale the idea so that you're impacting hundreds of millions of people a year? Yes, and this is, this is where I realised half a year ago that I didn't know nothing about I didn't, I know how to build a business. I know how to get a uh, hundred crowns to be top 200 crowns. You know, I, I understand this, but scaling and creating a, a huge company, something that really is, you know, gigantic, I know nothing about. And that's why we, um, we've gotten the team that we have uh, so that we have the right people to actually build this um, because that's not in my, that's actually just not knowledge I have. Uh, or experience that I have. So um, our CEO is big dreamer, and uh, and he is paving the way, and he is structuring our company in a way so that we can go from from a startup to a scale up to I don't even know the next level. <laughs> okay, and 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 that's really important to have the to imagine that you know idea that you want want to see the scale in, that's in there. One of the other people that we've had in the spotlight here is Mario Pacini, the Chief Design Officer of PepsiCo. Don't worry, he'll be watching this, and I know in his mind it'll be going somewhere. And then there's other people like that as well in the Design Exec Club. Actually, tomorrow I'm recording a session with somebody at one of the um, uh, sporting brands, and I'm, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if he says, oh, there's something here we should ever talk with. So, so I'm going to see how we can go and introduce you to a few people to at least challenge you on is is some form of partnership and scaling the right thing to go do. Because yeah? Yeah. You've, got, you've got a very interesting product offering, that's it. But that's hard to go from we've worked out a model of we did Kickstarter, we've had a great product design lab, we've done the design for manufacture, we've worked out how to market it, we've got the funding, now we go actually deliver on it. It's a very different company when you start to turn around and say, we now want to do some partnerships where we're not thinking of making a million of these. We're now thinking of making a hundred million. It totally changes everything, doesn't it? Yeah. How do you think you build the skills to know what to do there? Are there mentors in Denmark that can help you out or do you need to reach out to a more international community to go get some mentors to help you to understand that journey? We are in the midst of, of we are 100% founder owned still. And we are in the midst of starting to raise capital. And I hope that some of these people could be that, um, or at least 
point us in the direction of who we can uh, talk to or who would be able to, who would want to be on this journey with us. Um, so I think that we're right now trying to find them because we need them. We need people that know how we can become Patagonia, you know, know how we can become something that is, that has a higher purpose. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that you need to, you're part of what I would call the additive economy. You're trying to do things that add to our society. Previous chapters have been about extraction. It's how do I extract from the circuit? I don't care. Somebody else loses. I win. Somebody else loses, or the environment loses. I don't care. Or society loses. I don't care. That that I think that era is gone. And so you're at this vanguard of the additive economy, where we actually say we want to do something that adds to our community, that adds to the environment, that adds. You know, it's economically, social justice, it's got to add, add. Finding people to be mentors around that, they need to have a similar value set. And that, and, and part of the reason I'm spending time on this is because other people who watch this need to realise that they're not alone in trying to find the people who help them scale. That one is funny who partners are and knowing how to have that conversation and being confident to say, look, it, it's like a date. You know, you're a nice person, but ah, there's no chemistry or... I don't think you barrack for the wrong football team or you, you know, you eat the wrong foods, whatever it is. There's a whole bunch of reasons why we don't date people. There's a whole range of reasons why we don't go into business with them. And we don't talk a lot about that. We talk about money and balance sheets, but we don't talk about how you make that fit the go in there. So I wasn't expecting to talk about this when we started the conversation, but it, it seems like it's a natural fit. There's a, you've got a company which is successful, you've got the product line there, you've got those far market, near market products, you've got that success, but scale is the next big challenge, isn't it? It is, it is. And it's, and we really have to, we have to be more um, aware of what we use our money on. And because now it's not, you know, I'm not using hundred dollars on something I'm using ten thousand dollars on something mm-hmm. so we also when we're creating this brand we have to be sharp we have to it has to go through the company what we are about um, and and this this takes a lot of um organizing and and being an organization that delivers we also have so many people underneath us now um that are doing all these amazing things specialists that are that know and work with us. And I think that it's it's so important that we really, really think about how we do scale because the floor has to be, because it's a Danish saying, but like we need the floor to be straight if we have to run because or else we're just going to fall over all these hoops, you know. Yeah. That, uh, it's important that there's some of those obstacles out there. I'm thinking uh, seeing you... Uh, uh, I don't think your son's old enough to be putting Lego around the house, but you don't want Lego blocks ahead of you when you're trying to go scale up your your product there. Isabel, I've had a fascinating chat with you. One of the things that I've learned through this is that there's a new generation of people who are coming through with great design backgrounds, great design skills, but a vision for how they go make a better future. And there's also how do people who have got some more experience actually help to elevate your capacity to scale, elevate to help you to actually get to that next level. Thank you. It's been wonderful having a chat. 
Thank you. It's been wonderful talking. It's uh, we really came around some really interesting uh, themes that I even I, I don't think I've ever talked about. <laughs> yeah, and actually, actually, there's two things I try to go do in the spotlights, and I and I, my head was so caught up with what we're talking about, I forgot to ask these two important questions. So one is, was there anything that that we should have covered that we haven't that I skipped over? Is there anything that you're saying? Please don't go past this. There's, I really want to make sure I get, get this message across. Maybe there isn't. Yeah, no, I think, no, I, I love that we talked about something completely different than I'm used to. Good. And then the next one is, and this is a question without any notice, who inspires you and who makes you say, oh, look, the future is going to be different? Is there anybody you'd say, viewers, Take a look at these people. They've made a difference. It might be an artist. It might be a politician. I've seen Borgen. You've got good politicians in a drama. Um, but, you know, is there somebody who actually turns around and says, these people help me see the world differently? I think uh, when, when you when you put it like that, I am the person that pops up in my head is actually the reason why I'm sitting here and actually doing this. She really inspired me to look at my waist uh, she's called Lauren Singer, and she did like an experiment with herself where she would try to see how little waste she could actually create. So everything that she couldn't recycle, she put in a Marson jar, and then she actually had a whole year. Yeah, you no, know I, her. No, I did. Yeah, and and yeah, that was fascinating. Yeah. It was really, and it was just like it was so simple what she was doing, and and then she talked through like how you can you know, order something without packaging and how you can get your coffee filled up with when you just come with a glass, you know, it's, I, there's, there's just so many fun ideas. And it was so amazing to follow her journey. Uh, she was a big inspiration for me. Okay. Well, that is going to be a link that we'll go put on this um, because we all need to have something that inspires us, even if it's reminding somebody that we might have heard of before, but they are seminal moments. I, I know a designer friend of mine in Iceland that she shone a torch or a spotlight on the idea of plastic waste, and it fundamentally changed the way that I, that, that I look at plastic waste. We all have those influences, and I know as well you're doing that to a lot of people with Last Object. So thank you so much for being a guest on the Design Exec Club Spotlight. Thank you for having me.